All right, take your Bibles this morning, Jeremiah chapter number 31. Jeremiah chapter number 31. We're going to begin a new series this morning entitled Real Christianity. And if there's something that we need in society in the day and age that we live, and that, that is definitely real Christianity. And so this morning, we're going to set the stage for the next 13 weeks. Uh, hopefully, Lord willing, not 13 weeks of having to do this series via live stream. Uh, but the next 13 weeks, we'll be looking at this topic of real Christianity, setting the stage this morning. And we're going to begin uh, the Sunday School Hour, Jeremiah chapter number 31. And if you want, go ahead and mark that. We'll come back to this passage of Scripture at the end of the Sunday School Hour. But we're going to springboard into our topic this morning, um, Jeremiah chapter number 31. And in verse number 3, that's where I want us to draw our attention at this morning. The Bible says this, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me. Now, we know this, we know that Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he's writing here, and so he says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, this is what God says, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Kind of let that just sink in for just a second. A lot of times we, we throw around the word love, and, and I love you, and, and I, I love everything about you. We just kind of throw that word love around. But understand this this morning, God says, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Love. Now notice the second part of this verse. He says this, Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee. Let's look at it again. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee. Lord willing, this morning I want to teach on this topic, this subject, convoluted Christianity. Convoluted Christianity. Or we'd say this is subtitle, How Christianity Was Hijacked. How Christianity was hijacked. Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and the opportunity we have to be in your house. Thank you for the Sunday School Hour. And Lord, you know this morning, obviously we're meeting uh, not under uh, what we would deem uh, the best conditions. Lord, we know many are at home and and having to watch this via uh, YouTube or via Facebook, whatever means necessary. Maybe even some people have gathered together in their living rooms and are meeting this morning, watching the Sunday School Hour and the morning service to follow. Whatever the case is, God, we know this, that it didn't catch you by surprise. And uh, how we're having to conduct services is not something that you in heaven are, are worried about or frustrated about. Uh, Lord, I know that you're in complete control. So help us, uh, as human and as fleshly as we are, and sometimes as negative as we are, uh, to take this time and this opportunity, like Pastor and, and mentioned to me this morning, to take the time to draw close to you. It's so easy in this difficult time to look at Christianity as a whole, and even for Riverside Baptist Church in our own church life, to look at it as a whole, and, and to maybe even say this, what's the point? There's really no use to living for God. I pray that in the next couple of weeks as we go through this series on real Christianity, that we would endeavor to examine our own heart and our own life, whether we're an adult, whether we're a child this morning listening in, whether we're a teenager, and realize the importance of not only our faith and our walk with you, but having a real, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, help us this morning. Give us grace, give us liberty, give us unction, and give us clarity of thought. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you notice our text this morning, the Bible says, I'm going to read it again just because it's so powerful. The Bible says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. And that's a pretty profound statement to think about this morning. That God would say this, that He loved us with an everlasting love, but God doesn't just begin and stop right there. He goes on to say this, Therefore, with loving kindness, 
have I drawn thee. Uh, there's an aspect this morning that we think that we probably don't really think about too much is this, is that God loves us so much that he draws us, he desires to have that relationship with us. Uh, you know, sometimes we think of relationships and we, we think of maybe a husband and a wife or, or maybe a, a parent and a child or, or a best friends or family, aunts, uncles, cousins, whatever the case is. And we'll use that word love and like say, hey, I love you or I appreciate you and I, I love being with you. And we'll just throw out that word love and we don't really understand the context of really the magnitude of that word love. And here the Bible tells us this, that God loves us, but not only that he loves us with according to the word of God an everlasting love, but that God loves us so much that he draws us or that he has this desire to have a relationship with us. Listen, this morning I think we could dare say that, especially for husbands and wives, that if they were to say, hey, listen, honey, sweetheart, uh, whatever name you want to use, uh, hey, I love you, uh, we wouldn't say, hey, I love you, but I don't really want to be around you. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. Uh, I, I can't go to my wife and say, hey, uh, babe, I love you, but I don't really like hanging out with you. Well, yeah, okay, she's not here this morning. Uh, but I can't say, hey, I love you, but you know, I really don't like being your best friend. No, 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 no. If I'm going to tell my wife, hey, I love you, then there's got to be an aspect of our relationship where I'm drawn to her or we're drawn together in that fellowship one with another. The same thing applies with God. God in heaven is not going, hey, I love you, but I want nothing to do with you. Would we agree to that? Can we get an amen? There's a few people in the crowd this morning. Amen. Uh, Brother Joe, amen. Amen. Brother Jackson, amen. Listen, if God says, hey, I love you, Andrew. I, I love you, and I love you with an everlasting, uh, loving, uh, eternal love, God isn't just going to go, okay, but I really don't want anything to do with you. No, no, God desires a relationship with me. God desires to be a part of my life, and not just on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. No, 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 God desires to be part of my life 24-7. God doesn't just go, well, you know, when it's convenient for you, Andrew, then I'll be part of your life. No, no, God loves me unconditionally. In Romans chapter number 8, verse number 23, we read this. We ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. You see, by grace, I'm rescued from, uh, unto a redemptive relationship with Jesus Christ, promised an eternal perfection. This is when I got saved, June 10th, 1991, uh, my, the beginning of my Christian life, per se, that day, that beginning when I got saved, there's, a, there's an adoption. I was adopted in the family of God. But since that moment, listen, since that moment, it hasn't been a bed of roses, hasn't been like uh, everything's been hunky-dory and just, man, it's been great and no trials, no problems. No, no, no. There's been ups and there's been downs and there's been good times, there's been bad times. The point is this, that God desires to have a relationship with me, and God loves me. God loves me. He loves me unconditionally. So let's start off the Sunday School Hour this morning with two quick questions. Number one, let me ask you this question. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Now I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that for a second, because we're going to dive into this this morning about this context of convoluted Christianity. When I ask the question, are you a Christian, what is your answer? What is your answer? I mean, some of us right away, well, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. And maybe we, we just are so used to saying, yes, we're a Christian, that we don't, really, we don't really think about the context of that word and really the definition of that word. I didn't mean this. Are you religious? I didn't mean do you use the word Christian as a vague uh, spiritual way and just kind of an all descriptive. No, no. I mean when it comes to your eternal destiny, your salvation from the penalty of sin and your hope of eternal life in heaven, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone to save you? No, 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 listen, I'm not saying trusting in Jesus Christ and maybe a couple of other things. I'm not saying you're trusting in Jesus Christ and all these little, no, 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 no. I'm saying, are you trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? I'm thankful this morning that when I got saved June 10th, 1991, 
that it wasn't that I got saved, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and then I had to be baptized. I'm thankful. I'm thankful it wasn't that, hey, I got saved, and then I had to, I had to, I had to join a church. No, no. I'm thankful that wasn't the case. I'm thankful that when I got saved back in 1991, it wasn't, hey, you got to get saved, and then you got to memorize this scripture, and then you got to give this amount of money, and then you got to memorize these things, and then you got to do these good deeds. No, no. I'm thankful this morning that when I got saved, it was only through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There was no extra things that I had to do. There was no extracurricular type things that I had to do. You see, the question really this morning is this. Are you trusting anything other than the saving work of Jesus Christ to remove your guilt and sin and give you his righteousness in exchange? Romans chapter 5, verse number 21 tells us this. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto the eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, if you're not sure about this question, about really answering it, knowing for sure that salvation through Jesus Christ alone, listen, you can be sure. You can know. You say, well, Brother Andrew, you don't understand the, the, the conflict and what's going on in the world, and I can't go out, and I can't do things, and I can't meet, and I just don't know what's going on. Listen, there is a definite you can know today, and that is whether or not heaven is your eternal home. You may not know where your next paycheck's coming from. You may not know where the next roll of toilet paper's coming from, amen. You may not know where any of that stuff's coming from, but I can guarantee you this, there's definitely one guarantee in life, and that is that you could know for sure where your eternal, if you'll be in heaven for all eternity or the other place called hell. Now, here's the second question I want to ask as we get into our, our, our lesson this morning. If you are a Christian, and if you would say, Brother Andrew, I would identify as a Christian. I mean, we got Brother Bronner here. He's playing the piano, obviously. And if I was asked Brother Bronner, Brother Bronner, are you a Christian? Would you, would you identify yourself, you're in, like Bronner, not for Becca or for Emma, but for Bronner, would you identify yourself as a Christian? I'm pretty sure Brother Bronner would say, amen, Brother Andrew. Amen, bro. He said amen. If you can hear, he said amen, Brother Andrew. All right, so do we really understand, if we're going to identify ourselves as a Christian, as a born-again believer, by definition of what the word Christian means, do we really understand, and listen, there's another aspect to this question as well, do we really understand and enjoy our Christian life? Well, I, Brother Andrew, you know, I, I remember when I got saved. I, I remember my, my, my day of salvation, and I remember asking Jesus Christ to come to my heart and be my Savior, and I remember putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But you know, I really don't enjoy the Christian life. I really don't enjoy the Christian life. I don't enjoy the singing. I don't enjoy the Bible reading. I don't, I don't enjoy the, uh, uh, the, the praying. Listen, I definitely don't enjoy the tithing and giving to missions. I mean, that is my money, and bless God, I worked hard for my money. No, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. We, do we, we understand being a Christian and being born again. We understand that. And so June 10th, 1991, I use myself as an example. I got saved. I got born again. Uh, I've got an eternal home in heaven. That's the day of my salvation. But at the same time, over here, am I enjoying my salvation? Am I enjoying what God has done? Or am I enjoying, listen, even in the trials and the tribulations of life, am I enjoying what God is doing in my life? Now, we're talking about real Christianity. Man, we want salvation. Man, we're all excited about salvation and and we'll do backflips and everything else for salvation. But man, what about over here enjoying it? Enjoying it. It's sad to say I've been in church uh, since about 1990, 1991. 
And been in, uh, being grown up in the military, been to different churches, some big churches, some small churches, uh, been to Bible college, ministry, and you see all kinds of people. So all kinds of people, Brother Joe, in churches. And man, they're over here, they're saved, they're born again. You know, the preacher asked for an invitation, if you know for sure, heaven's your home, would you please raise your hand, man? They, they have no problem raising their hand. But man, I, I, what would happen? What would happen? What would happen? If the preacher was to say, and now listen, I want you to raise your hand if you enjoy your salvation. I want you to raise your hand if you, if you enjoy your Christian life. Man, how hesitant would we be, Brother Bronner, to... Well, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved, Brother Andrew. I'm, I'm good. And that question's asked, and we're kind of like... Looking around and seeing who doesn't have their hand... Brother Philip doesn't have his hand up. Bless God, I'm going to put my hand on up. I enjoy it. No, 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 seriously, let's be honest this morning. If we're really a Christian, do we understand and enjoy the Christian life? From the first moment of faith until the moment you see Jesus Christ, it is easy to get off course and lose the delight of being His. Confusion, discouragement abound among Christians. And the whole purpose of going through real Christianity in our Sunday school hour for the next 13 weeks is to help us avoid the discouragement and the confusion. And understand this, that God desires, listen, God desires that we enjoy the Christian life. Listen, if you're, not, if you're watching this this morning, whether you're on Facebook, on YouTube, whatever the case is, and you don't enjoy the Christian life, you need some help. You need some help. Man, I, I, have, never, I have never once in my life been like, man, I wish I wasn't saved. I never once in my life wished, man, I, I wish I could go back to June 10th, 1991 and take back uh, my, the day of my salvation. No, no, I've never once done that. Now listen, there's been some times in my life I've made some dumb decisions, some dumb mistakes and, and sinned and, and, and did some things against a holy and a righteous God that, man, I wish I, now I look back and go, man, I wish I could go back and change those things. I wish I could go back and, and make a different decision. I wish I could go back and, and change the direction I was headed at that time. But, man, there has never been a point in my Christian life where I thought, man, I just wish I could go back and change that day I got saved. Listen, the journey we call the Christian life can swiftly move from being amazing, uh, extraordinary, awesome, powerful, uh, uh, man, a life of unconditional grace and just amazement to being this, unable to measure up, restrictive, pinched, pushed and restrained. See, being a Christian is overwhelmingly wonderful. It's overwhelmingly wonderful. But there are forces at work in your life and in my life that oppose the joy that God so desires for our life when it comes to real Christianity. You see, these forces work overtime to fuel fear, anxiety, condemnation. It's easy to descend into discouragement and to fall away from Jesus Christ, and it's easy to wander from grace and to find ourselves captive to lies and laws that drain us of joy and strength. <clears throat> you know, there's a reason why pastors mention uh, over the years, I mean, I, I know I've only been here just a couple of years, but I'm sure for years and years and years, there's a reasons why he's mentioned the fact that, uh, that he does not want to lord or rule over someone's life and the decisions that we make as individuals, because so many people have this mindset that, oh, I've got to do this because of the pastor, or I've got to do this because of the church, or I've got to do this because of Brother Andrew, or I've got to do this because of Brother Bronner, or Brother Philip, or Brother Joe, or whoever the case is. No, no, no. We get that mindset, and what happens is this, is that we start living our life not for God, but we live our life for an individual. And so when we don't measure up, listen, listen, when we don't measure up to somebody else's, let's say, standard or bar, if you would, we get discouraged. 
And so we don't experience the joy and the happiness and the excitement and, and, and everything that God wants us to experience. You see, the truth is this, is that Jesus Christ absolutely loves you and I. You may have been disappointed yourself, uh, but not Him. I mean, listen, we're weak in and of ourselves. We're weak in and of our flesh. We're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall flat on our face. But listen, He's not measuring you and I up. He's not up in heaven going, well, you know, uh, Father, uh, they, they say they're my child, but man, they, they keep making the same dumb mistake, and they keep making the same a wrong decision, and, and I just don't love them anymore, or, or I just don't think they should. No, 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 that's not the God that we serve. Uh, that's not the Savior that I have. That's not the, that's not the, 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 the trust that I'm putting myself in, in, his, in my Savior's hands. Listen, I, I don't have to worry about him going, hey, I just want to disown you. That's not how Jesus, that's not how my Heavenly Father works. You see, God and Jesus Christ saved us, saved you, saved me from having to measure up to someone else. And so part of the struggle we have when it comes to real Christianity is this, is that we base our Christianity off of everyone else rather than basing it off of the Word of God. And so when we don't base our faith, when we don't base our walk with God on the Word of God and on who God is and on what God tells us in the Bible, our eyes, we start looking at everybody else thinking, man, I, man if I could only be like them, man, if I could only be as spiritual as them, if I could only have a walk with God with them. No, no, listen, every one of us struggles. Every one of us, <coughs> excuse me, every one of us has good days. Every one of us has bad days. But we cannot measure our Christianity up to another brother or sister in Christ. You see, in salvation, God gave you and I his righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness. Romans chapter 5, verse number 58, the Bible tells us this, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we, while we, you and I, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One of the things that I find so uh, just so encouraging about that verse specifically right there is when God says this, that in while we were yet sinners. Now understand this, God isn't speaking in that verse when he says, and while we, uh, speaking of those that are now saved, no, no, he's talking about all mankind. He's talking about everyone that's walked upon the face of this earth. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21, the Bible says this, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, this journey in the Christian life, it can be depleting. It can be sheer agony. The struggle is often blinding. But I'll be honest with you, it's time for us as Christians, in a sense, to regroup. It's time for us as in Christians to be encouraged. You know, one of the things that, that I, I think that, uh, and, and don't take this wrong when I say it, but uh, you know, one of the things we talked about is the struggle that we're going through right now with the, the virus and everything else. And I made this statement uh, this morning, I've made it in the past week or two, but, you know, going through the things we're going through as a, as a, as a church and as a nation and, and as a society and even as a world is really going to, especially for us as a church, is really going to separate, we'll just say it like this, the men from the boys. It's really going to separate those who have a desire and a drive and a motivation to live for God regardless of what's going on. Oh, you brother, you don't understand the persecution. Really? Oh, Brother Andrew, you don't understand, uh, oh, it's just so hard, it's just so difficult. Really? I mean, if we just take the book of Acts and open up the book of Acts and do a case study in the book of Acts and understand what the early church went through, and, and not just in the book of Acts, but even the early Christian age, the first couple hundred years, and, and looking at back over the last couple thousand years of all that those who've named the name of Christ have suffered, we got it pretty good. I mean, we got it pretty good. I mean, I can still go to Walmart and get food. I can still go out in public and I can still play my Christian music and roll my windows down 
and sing to the top of my lungs, it is well with my soul, and not have to worry about somebody driving by and, 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 and kidnapping me or shooting me or anything else. No, no, listen, we don't have it as bad as you and I think. But man, some of us, we're just like, well, man, my life, whew, man, it's just so, man, I just don't know, Brother Andrew, I don't think we'll ever get to meet again as a church. I, I, man, just, no, no, listen, listen, let's just stop being so negative. Let's just be real. How is our walk with God? What do you think when you hear the word Christian? What do you think when you hear the term, the phrase Christian? Survey any cross-section of Americans and you'll discover great confusion among, about the term Christian. What does it really mean? What does it represent? How has it been hijacked and redefined in modern culture? Why does it matter? Few terms in society today, like the term Christian, are so, are so misunderstood. A centuries-old identity theft has left humanity with great perplexity about the term Christian. Christianity, and Christ. So depending on who you're asking this morning, the name Christian has been rendered confusing and complicated. We're going to get into that this morning. So as we begin this series on real Christianity, we're going to look at some of the, the, the culprits, of you would, of the negativity around the word Christian. And so if you're taking notes or you got the handout from the website, uh, culprit number one this morning is this, is religion. Religion. You see, church structures and powerful denominations have muddied the waters of God's word, and thus the term Christian. Time doesn't permit us to unpack all the wars and the political power struggles and the man-centered movements that have adopted the banner of Christian and misrepresented Christ. So these institutions hold people hostage to man-made traditions. Let that sink in for a second. These institutions of religion, under the guise and the flag and the banner of religion, have held people hostage to man-made traditions, works-based salvation, and complex structures of false teaching. And almost none of their teaching can be found in Jesus' original message. Many people grew up in a religious structure that are oppressive and confusing. They were raised to believe that the Bible was not understandable or relevant that God was only reachable through a priest or a saint, and that Jesus didn't pay for all your sin, and that keeping laws and traditions is the way of eternal salvation. I was, this past summer, we were, I was out door knocking here in St. Joseph and knocked the door of a, of a lady and got talking to her and inviting her to church, and, and uh, I won't get into the details, but she obviously was of another denomination, we'll call it that, that did not believe the Bible like you and I believe it. And believe, she said, of course, she believed in Jesus Christ and believed in God. But when I tried to talk to her and witness to her and, and, and get her to a point to where she could be confronted about her eternal destiny, everything was pointing back to a, let's just say it this way, to another book that her denomination or her church used in conjunction with a so-called Bible. And so when she would quote a passage of Scripture, I would obviously, I had a small New Testament with me, would open it up, read a passage of scripture to her, and, and instead of using scripture to define scripture, here's what she did. She went and got this other book, and from this book, tried to explain to me her stance when it came to God. She was polite enough to give me the book, and it's sitting on my desk in my office right now. The point is this, is that religion has muddied the definition of what a real Christian is. So what do you mean by that, Brother Andrew? Well, let's just think for a second in today's society, who would therefore call themselves Christians? Well, I'm an 
I'm a Baptist, a Baptist by doctrine, so I would consider myself a Christian. And Brother Bronner, he's, he's a Baptist, and, and he would consider himself a Christian. And Brother Joe's a Baptist, he'd consider himself a Christian. But I dare say, and, and Brother Philip, my bad, Brother Philip, he's, he's a Christian, he's a Christian. I think, no, I'm just kidding. But if we were to take a survey of other churches and other denominations within St. Joe, St. Joseph, we would probably find maybe, maybe some not-Baptists that would consider themselves Christians. I'm sure we'd find some Catholics and some Mormons, some Jehovah Witnesses. And see, so what I'm getting at this morning, that religion in and of itself has muddied this term Christian to where we don't really understand the true meaning of the word. To them, Jesus and His way seems complicated. and This is a system that holds people hostage to fear and anxiety, but Scripture warns of this. Hold, hold your place in Jeremiah and turn over to Matthew chapter number 24. The book of Matthew chapter number 24. I want you to see a passage of Scripture here where Jesus is speaking. And I want you to notice in Matthew chapter number 24. And let's just kind of, we're going to, I've got one verse written down here, but for the context of where we're at in Sunday school, we're moving along really, really good. I want us to look at these verses here and kind of get the picture, if you would, and and put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. In Matthew chapter number 24, the Bible says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him, for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man, what does that word say? Deceive you. So here's the disciples. They, they ask a, va- a very valid question to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And they say this, Can you give us a sign or, or can you tell us, can you let us know specifically when the end of the world is coming? And so Jesus responds in verse number 4 and he says this, Take heed that no man deceive you. <clears throat> One of the encouraging things here at Riverside Baptist Church is as, we're, as the preaching's being done, whoever's in the pulpit preaching, and, and as, as the Sunday school lesson is being given, whether it's in the teen class, the adult class, listen, even the little kids' classes, even Miss Emily's class, the two- and three-year-olds, whatever's going on here as far as the instruction of the Word of God I'm so thankful this morning that it's from the Word of God, it's from the Bible, uh, that we don't have somebody who just takes an iPad and says, hey, you know, I was just thinking this week about, you know, what, what, what God means to me, Brother Philip, and so I just had some thoughts I just want to share with you. No, 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 I'm thankful this morning that when the Word of God is open, there's a reason why. It's so that you and I are not deceived by what man might say. You can go to churches across the globe where somebody gets in the pulpit or somebody gets behind a pedestal or sits on a stool or whatever the case is, and they give their two cents of what they think about something, but they never open up the Bible, God's Word. Listen, God preserved this. He did not preserve this. Now, this is a great tool, don't get me wrong, but this is God's Word. This is just an iPad, just so you know, in case you were wondering. So, he says this in verse number 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Well, that verse right there is pretty powerful if you think about it. Pretty powerful if you think about the denominations of today, 
and some of the claims that people have made today, man, I saw Jesus Christ, and man, He, he told me to do this, and, and, and man, I saw God, and God imparted this, this vision unto me, and come on now, come on now. Look what He says, look what Jesus says. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. Now notice what the Bible says. This is Jesus' words. This is God's Son's word. He says, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. What? It's not yet. Look what he says, verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation, and the kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now notice verse number 9. It says, then, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Now notice this again, he goes back to this. He goes, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. Well, Brother Andrew, I mean, you're kind of you're splitting hairs right here. I mean, it's kind of a little controversial in the Sunday school hour, you know, over live stream and Facebook and YouTube. And, no, 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 listen, this is God's word. And here's what Jesus says in verse number 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Can we say this this morning? Will we agree that the term Christianity uh, and the term Christian is used by many that are deceived on the guise of religion? And because of a religion or because of a denomination or because of the home you've grown up in or whatever the case is or the, maybe even the country you've been born into, listen, you've been deceived at what a real Christian is. No matter what it's called, this is not Christianity. You'll not find this type of quote-unquote religion encouraged in the Bible. It is far removed from the personal and loving relationship that God truly desires to have with you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 16 God tells us this, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Listen, I'm thankful this morning that my, my Christianity, my faith in God is not based upon a religion or a church or a pastor or a priest or anything else. My Christianity, my walk, my relationship with God is based on solely my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So religion's culprit number one. Let's keep moving here. Culprit number two. We're talking about those things that have distorted and, and, and muddied the term Christianity. Culprit number two this morning. How about this? How about Christianity itself? So what are you getting at, Brother Andrew? Christianity itself. Those who claim to know and follow Jesus are often his worst representatives. You know who Gandhi is? You know who Gandhi is, Brother Philip? Here's what Gandhi said. This is a direct quote from Gandhi. He said, I'd be a Christian if it were not for the Christians. Now, you may think, that's Gandhi. That's No, no, no. There's probably some people that you work with. There's probably some people in your own family that today would be saved, born again, walking with Christ, but aren't because of maybe your testimony or maybe the testimony of another Christian. If you ask the average person to describe the average Christian, you might get some comments like this. A religious person or someone who goes to church and tries to be good. 
a person who thinks he's better than others, a holier-than-thou type person, a person who's judgmental and is always evaluating others, a person who's hypocritical or doesn't practice what he preaches, do what I say, not as I do, a person who is confrontational and pious and likes to argue, likes to argue, see a lot of that on Facebook right now, I just want to throw that in, a person who's narrow-minded and out of touch with real-life issues, a person who's reclusive from people who are not just like them. Listen, no man's an island. A person who is one-dimensional or only interested in other Christians. While there may be some fragments of truth in this list, it's in large part a distortion of what the Bible calls a Christian. You could add your own uh, thoughts to this list. You could add your own examples to this list. But throughout the New Testament epistles, God instructs Christians to live in a way that is consistent with the gospel for this very purpose. Turn over to Ephesians chapter number 5 real quick. Ephesians chapter number 5. It is Sunday school hour. We're going to look at some passages of Scripture here, so hopefully you got your Bibles ready to go. Ephesians chapter number 5. Look at verse number 3. Ephesians chapter number 5 and in verse number 3. Notice what the Bible says. Actually, let's go to verse number 1. Let's go to verse number 1 because this is great. Okay, Look what the Bible says. Chapter number 5, the book of Ephesians, verse number 1. Be ye therefore followers of God. Man, what a thought this morning, that God would challenge you and I to be followers of God. That we as individual human beings, as sinful flesh that we are, would be followers of God. He says this as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But now notice verse number three. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Hey, listen, this morning, there's probably some people that have distorted the name Christian because they themselves would claim the term Christian, yet their life doesn't add up to it. In Philippians chapter number 1, verse number 27, the Bible says this. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Listen, I'll never forget it this morning. Probably, probably one of the most, uh, probably one of the most uh, discouraging, probably one of the most surreal moments of my life. I was a senior in high school, at Knob Nostra High School, and I, I remember we had, a, we had a senior bench in the commons area, and all the seniors would gather around this bench and kind of hang out. And, and I remember, I think it was uh, probably January or February of my senior year, and and there's probably a group of 20 or 30 of us hanging out just talking before school starts. And everybody's talking about what they're going to do when they graduate and the college they're going to go to. Or they're going to go in the military or go to this trade school, whatever the case is. And, and, and listen, and, and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Uh, a, a young lady uh, named Jennifer Thomas looked at me and she said, Andrew, she goes, what are you going to do after you graduate? And I already knew right there, Brother Joe, I was going to go to Bible college. And so I kind of just said, well... Jen, I'm going to go to Bible college. And I'll never forget the look on her face as she started to laugh at me. You know, it's pretty humbling to think this morning that there are people I went to high school with that will probably die and split hell wide open. I had the privilege and the opportunity to show them how they could know for sure that heaven's their home. But because I was that Christian, that cool kid, you know, just kind of, Christian on Sunday, Christian on Wednesday, but listen, how many of us, how many of us have distorted the definition of what a Christian is 
because we're the type of Christian who won't necessarily live completely by this. We want to pick and choose. Pick and choose. Pick and choose. As a Christian, it's easier to believe in Christianity than it is truly to be a Christian, to be Christ-like. As God's children, we don't always accurately represent the family name. There's a banner we had on our, our bedroom I, I, growing up, and, and uh, we always played baseball. And so when you play baseball, you always had a team. You always had the team name on the front of your jersey. And then growing up playing baseball, and I'm the oldest of five boys, and so all of us boys would be playing, and, and my mom's got pictures galore of all that, of course. But we'd always, my mom would always put our last name on the back of our shirt. So you'd, on the back of your shirt, your jersey would be Rodriguez. My dad would always talk about our name and how we represent that name. You know, we'll use the term Christian, and we'll describe ourselves, Brother Joe, Brother Jackson, as a Christian. But are we representing that name like we ought to? Are we really representing the name like it truly should be represented? And then here's culprit number three, and we'll finish up this morning. Culprit number three, how about this? The culture has distorted the name Christianity. You see, Christian, distort, uh, Christian distortions abound. You see, Satan desires to blind society and at the same time blind you and I. In addition to this, many people co-opt the name Christian. I'll give you an example. Politicians throw Christian into a campaign to grow their voting base. Man, I'm so glad this morning Nancy Pelosi is a Christian. It's a joke, by the way. It's a joke. It's a joke. But they'll throw in the word Christian to grow their campaign and to get their votes, and, and they'll, they'll try to use that term in a political sense to get what they want. Let's get a little closer to home this morning. I'm going to probably offend some people when I make this statement. What about athletes? What about athletes that use the term Christian? They use Christian to advance their career and to claim God's favor on the field. They use the term Christian to, to, to appeal to the masses and to, to appeal to their following. There's a man that plays quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs that would consider himself a Christian. You're like, Brother Andrew, please stop right there. No, no, no. He would consider himself a Christian. But yet everything in his life doesn't add up to this. To this. And the decisions and the choices he makes in life don't add up to the Word of God. But yet he'll stand before, listen, he'll stand before young people and he'll say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And my faith in God. But yet he'll head out to a rap concert, get drunk, live with his girlfriend. And his lifestyle doesn't add up to the Word of God. You say, man, Brother Andrew, you're pretty judgmental. No, 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 listen. We have a problem in society and in America. And here's the problem. When I go knock a door and I try to invite someone to church, and when they look at me and they go, so you're a Christian? And I say yes, and they're like, well, so is Patrick Mahomes. So is Nancy Pelosi. So is Barack Obama. And you name it. And so their measuring stick for Christianity is based on a person and not on the Word of God. So our culture has distorted the view of what really a Christian is. How about this? Businesses claim Christian to build a customer relationship and to feign integrity. You ever dealt with a business owner or, or a business 
Uh, you drive around town, maybe they got a truck with a little fishy symbol on the back. Man, and you go look at their Google reviews or their Facebook reviews, it ain't good. No, 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 listen, this is, we're talking about real stuff. And so what happens is, is that the lost person sees Christianity and goes, man, I'm better than that person. I'm not living that kind of lifestyle. I'm not making those types of decisions. Therefore, I don't need Christ. And so we have a, a problem within society when it comes to Christianity and the definition of it. You see, honestly, this morning, Christian, the term Christian is one of the most hijacked, and misappropriated names in human history. These distortions overshadow the truth and keep intelligent people from authentic, authentically investigating Jesus Christ and the gospel message. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse 14 tells us this, and No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed, that's what the Bible says, into an angel of light. The angel of light. So let's wrap up Sunday school this morning. I feel like, man, we're on a really good note with those, that last point right there. Man, well, oof, man, lots of likes on Facebook right there, yeah. <clears throat> so let's conclude this. There's a very good chance this morning, in the middle of all the cultural noise, that you have some bad information about Christianity. That maybe your definition of what a Christian is has been distorted or twisted. And maybe even this morning, if you claim, you say, hey, I'm a Christian, Brother Andrew, I'm born again. But maybe our mindset of what is acceptable as a Christian and what a Christian can do, we're basing, listen, look up here, we're basing our Christianity off of what they do and what their lifestyle is rather than off of the Word of God. And so we think, hey, listen, they say they're a Christian and they're out getting drunk, it's okay. No, no, they say they're a Christian and they're having sex outside of marriage, so it's okay. No, no, they say they're a Christian, uh, but they're doing drugs or they're, doing, they're gambling or, or they're li- looking at pornography or whatever the case is. They say they're a Christian, so therefore it's got to be okay. And so what happens is our definition of Christianity gets distorted. It gets distorted. Maybe you've ruled out considering Jesus Christ and considering just ruled out completely the gospel message and you thought this, well, you know what? I'm better than some of them people. I'm way better than Nancy Pelosi. I've got to be going to heaven. Hmm. Maybe you even think this morning that Christianity, it just, it's just determined. You stand before God one day and God says, are you a Christian? You could say, bless God, I'm a Christian. Yeah, sure, God, I'm a Christian. I'm good to go. doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. Wouldn't it be sad if you never investigated fully and understood the truth of the Word of God what God has for you. But how about this? How about as a Christian who truly knows Jesus personally, you've been caught up in the ladder of works, you've been caught up trying to measure yourself against so-and-so and measure yourself against the church or measure yourself against somebody else you talk to on Facebook or on Twitter or anything else. You see, there's a good chance that you and I have been misinformed to what a real Christian is. Here's the worst case scenario when it comes to real Christianity. You and I could walk away from Jesus Christ and never experience the relationship he desires. Turn back over to Jeremiah chapter 31 and we'll finish up. The worst case is this, that you and I could walk away from Jesus Christ and never experience the relationship he desires. But here's the best case scenario. That you and I will suffer, we'll struggle, We'll move forward with faulty beliefs and disillusionment and unnecessarily enduring a joyous journey as a Christian and get to the point where we go, you know what? It's not about everybody else. It's all about Him.
See, the joy of real Christianity is this, is that my faith in God is not dependent upon Brother Philip or Brother Bronner, not even Brother Joe. My enjoyment and excitement when it comes to my Christian life and real Christianity is based upon one person and one person alone, and that is Jesus Christ. Listen, this morning, if you want to understand real Christianity, look right here, Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Man, it's pretty powerful when someone tells you that they love, that they love you. When someone tells you, hey, I love you, or you say, hey, I love you, that's pretty powerful. That's a pretty powerful statement. But to think this morning this, that God says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee. How's your walk with God this morning? Hey, let's, let's, take a look at our, let's take a look at us individually. If we're Christians this morning, we'll say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm a believer. Let's make sure we're representing that definition the right way. Maybe this morning you say, you know, Brother Andrew, I, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Let me encourage you this. Reach out here at Riverside Baptist Church. Reach out to us. And we'd love to take the Word of God. Not an iPad. Not a book. Not a card. No, no. The Word of God so that you can know for sure that heaven is your eternal home. Father, we do thank you again for the Sunday School Hour, Lord, for the importance of us understanding what a real Christian is. What I pray this morning, the Sunday School Hour has, uh, has been, uh, Lord, clear and concise. And, uh, Lord, it's definitely not my intention or my heart, my spirit, to be offensive in any way. But the reality is this, is that so many people are looking at Christians and Christianity as a whole and brushing it off. And in the day we're living in right now, with everything going around in this world, we need some men, some women, some boys, some girls, some young people that would not only name the name of Christ, would not only be defined as being a Christian, but would at the same time live it to its fullest definition and extent. Lord, help us this next couple of weeks as we go through this study on real Christianity to simply be that, real. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This concludes our Sunday school hour, and here in about 10, 15 minutes, we'll begin the Sunday morning service. Thank you.